The 49ers ran all over the Seahawks on Sunday afternoon. What's gone wrong for Pete Carroll's defense stuffing the run so far this season? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks falling to 1-1 one one yesterday with a disappointing 27-7 loss to the 49ers. At the center of that defeat, really struggled defending the run game for the second straight game. We're going to take a closer look at what's gone wrong so far for Seattle defending the run, and we're going to dish out some Monday musings following yesterday's defeat. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Heading into the season, most people expected Seattle's offense was going to take a significant step back without Russell Wilson under center and either Geno Smith or Drew Locke replacing him at the quarterback position. But one area that most expected was going to still be a strength for this football team was its run defense, finishing the top five in yards per carry allowed each of the past two seasons had their entire defensive line coming back with a few key additions to further bolster that group. And yet, Rob, here we are, two games into the 2022 season, and maybe the most surprising disappointment in terms of where this football team is at so far, they've really struggled stopping the run against the Broncos and 49ers. They have struggled. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And I, and I think that some of it was somewhat predictable. Of course, the last couple of years, we've seen Seattle's defense be historically bad to start the season, but it was especially bad in the secondary. Um, and and I'm, I still am you know, kind of impressed that Seattle's secondary has played as well as they have over those first couple of seasons, considering how much that they are playing, especially the rookie Tariq Woolen, as well as, of course, uh, Kobe Bryant, you have a new starter now at the strong safety position um, in Josh Jones. Um, but the run defense, as you mentioned, ha has been pretty disappointing. And again, I thought that that might happen. I get the San Francisco 49ers squad that we've talked about this over and over again during the Kyle Shanahan era. It seems like the 49ers can get just about anybody to be able to run the football for them and still be effective. And then, of course, the Denver Broncos, considering that they have two really good running backs in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, then that might be an issue. And I I don't know that, nationally speaking, that the people are, are giving enough attention to the fact that Seattle has made a significant uh, you know, turnover here on the defensive line and defense or at the linebacker position in terms of running that three, four defense and just 
trying to get guys to to match up very well. I mean, there has to be some coordination. This is not just about individual talent. We know that guys like Al Woods and, and Puna Ford, Shelby Harris, and certainly Seattle's two interior inside linebackers, uh, you know, and Jordan Brooks and Kobe, excuse me, uh, and, and Cody Barton can absolutely play. But at the same time, they have got to be in concert. And that, to me, is where the run fits have been abysmal over these first two weeks. And unless Seattle is able to figure it out in very short order, the Atlanta Falcons are going to run the football as well. And so that is something that Seattle has to get fixed, or this could wind up not being just a week one, week two issue. This could wind up being an issue for a lot longer than that. Yeah, Coach Pete Carroll echoed your sentiment speaking with reporters today in his Monday Zoom conference call. Here's just a quick clip on Carroll's thoughts on where the run game stands and why the defense has really struggled to this point in that aspect. It was all or nothing. You know, we, we knocked the heck out of it and, and stuffed it at the line of scrimmage, or we gave him some run space. And, and uh, it's about the discipline of the fits and the consistency of that. We, we At times we were all right, and then then we had, you know, the, the, the big play that gets uh, gets into us, you know, yesterday, the 50-something-yard play, um, you know, we got the guy in the backfield, we got to get him down. It was Debo Samuel, and he's pretty notorious for getting loose and getting out of it. But that was the play that really rocks us with the numbers uh, overall. But uh, um, we, we have to be more consistent in our fits, and I think that's a little bit of the newness. We're still we're still working together to, to get stuff right. When in these games now, and it's uh, the, the teams are so good and, they, and they're so equipped that if you have a you know if you have a hole there, they're going to take advantage of it. And the Niners were able to f- figure that out some, and uh, so we can see that the same place we stopped at other times in the game. So we got to find our consistency, and that's not there yet. And there's no time. We don't have any. We have to get it done now. Yeah, Atlanta runs the football. You know, their their big guy back there. He hammers it too. And and uh, they have the similar type of running game and offense and all of that. So we've got to get our act together quick. I think Carol summed it up perfectly. They have to get their act together quickly. This is not something that they have the time to afford. You know what? Three four weeks from now, maybe we can get this fixed because this is a copycat league. And you've got some really good offensive-minded coaches that the Seahawks are going to be playing against coming up in the next couple of games that are going to be able to see on film the run-fit issues. They're going to be able to see all the missed tackles, the issues setting the edge, you name it. The lack of concert between the defensive line and the linebackers. Carol mentioned that today. That's maybe going to take longer than what they wanted it to with this being now a 3-4 oriented scheme. This is not a quick fix necessarily, but they have to treat it that way because all those different issues I just mentioned, all of them have compounded together. And that's why they right now have the seventh worst run defense in terms of yardage allowed on the ground the first two weeks. They're near the top of the league in missed tackles. That is certainly not a category that you want to be near the top. And I hate to pick on two particular players, but your third-year players, Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks, have kind of been at the center of these struggles. Brooks has been letting line or letting linemen get up on him at the second level far more than we've seen in the first couple of years, and that's probably acclimating to playing in this 3-4 scheme. The front line isn't doing a good enough job keeping him clean either. And Daryl Taylor has constantly struggled with tackling these first two weeks. I can't remember very many positive plays from him up to this point. And that huge miss on Debo Samuel that ended up netting a 51-yard gain in yesterday's game, that's really the play that comes to mind from the first two weeks with him. 
and he was expected to be your best pass rusher. You're expecting he's going to improve against the run. So there's a lot of issues they're dealing with. And obviously this is a defensive oriented coaching staff. They believe that they can get this short up fairly quickly. But again, this is not simply, Hey, we just get to tackle a little bit better. There's a lot more complicated issues at play here that have led to this struggle defending the run so far. Oh, there absolutely are. I mean, there's there's no question about it. Some of it is the fact that Seattle, like a lot of NFL clubs, decide not to start a lot of their uh, – play a lot of their starters throughout the preseason. And, and so, again, there is going to be just some acclimation. I, I love the way you said it, that you got to have the defensive linemen and linebackers very much playing in concert. It really does. It has to be a symphony. I mean, they have got to, to be able to kind of anticipate where each other are going to go. Th- there were some flashes. I mean, Al. Al Woods was as dominant as we've ever seen Al Woods at times, but at the same time, there, there also were some just really ugly misses. You mentioned the the the, the ugly open field uh, tackle opportunity that Daryl Taylor had, and he misses that. Jordan Brooks is not getting off of blocks as well as perhaps we we might have expected that he would. Quandre Diggs, you're arguably your best player on defense, certainly your most consistent. Um, you know, he missed some tackles as well. I mean, there this was this was an issue for just about every single level of the defense Corbin and again you go back to the the Atlanta Falcons are coming up and I know there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there who just think the Atlanta Falcons are going to be just a an easy victory uh that's a club that is looking to run the football they've got a quarterback in Marcus Mariota who's very similar to Trey Lance in terms of his strength is his mobility uh you know and and so to me this is a huge concern and and there's going to be some out there who say oh the 49ers would have been beatable but once they switched over to Jimmy Garoppolo then then was a whole different ball you know a whole different game plan And, and that's true but at the same time, it's not like Seattle was slowing the 49ers down when Trey Lance was on the field either. I mean, Seattle, the, the, the Seahawks defense looked pretty much, you know, kind of at the whim of whatever the 49ers wanted to do from the very jump of, of this game. And, and so to me, that is the most concerning. And I think that we should have anticipated this um, because, again, the emotional swing. I mean, this was a pendulum. Uh, Seattle came in with so much emotion and, and obviously willed their way to a victory against the Broncos. But that emotion, that fire was absolutely lacking in Santa Clara. And, and the result basically was somewhat predictable in, in terms of the 49ers basically just imposing their will. And if they would have wanted to run for more yards, I think that they probably could have considering the way that Seattle's run fits were just that loose. Yeah. I don't think that the quarterback that was under center had anything to really do with the lack of production, defending the run yesterday. And it might've been worse with Trey Lance with his rushing ability. They certainly did whatever they wanted. The first drive of the game marched right down and got a field goal. The Seahawks were fortunate that they were able to get another red zone stop. That's really what has been saving them is They've been able to bend but not break very often. The 49ers were able to break them late yesterday, though. They need more synergy with their defensive line and linebackers. Their young players like Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks, they got to step up. They got to play up to expectations because right now they simply are not. And you can say that on a lot of players that are in that front seven. There's exceptions like Al Woods, but Puna Ford, they need more from him up front. He's had kind of a quiet start. And there's been some big gaps that have been created, and maybe it's adjusting to a 3-4 that's really impacting these guys. But whatever the case is, they better get it figured out fast or this could unravel on them. And surprisingly, run defense could be a big reason why they struggle to win football games in the 2022 season. Up next is we're going to do each and every Monday 
throughout the course of this season. We're going to take a look at a college quarterback prospect. We're going to be staying local this week with the Washington Huskies quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., coming off a huge game against Michigan State. We're going to get to his scouting report, breaking him down as a potential prospect the Seahawks could look at coming up next here on Locked On Seahawks. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Aaron Rodgers to throw four touchdowns, Derrick Henry to post 125 rushing yards, and Devontae Adams to reel in 10 receptions in week three. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Price Picks offers projections on any sport you watch, including NFL, MLB, NHL, college basketball, and NASCAR. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less with safe and fast withdrawals and is currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. After trading away Russell Wilson, there's a lot of long-term questions for the Seahawks at the quarterback position. So as we're going to do each and every Monday, we're going to be breaking down a quarterback prospect in the college ranks. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks right now in college football, a number of them that are going to be draft eligible, potentially making them targets for the Seahawks to find that next franchise quarterback. We've already looked at a few quarterbacks up to this point. We're going to continue our parade through college football QBs, staying local, Rob, with a player who maybe wasn't on NFL draft radars before transferring to Washington, but Michael Penix Jr., after a fantastic outing against number 11-ranked Michigan State, I think he's now put himself squarely on the radar of NFL scouts, and teams may have a lot of interest because this guy brings the cannon arm and a lot of other physical tools to the table. Oh, there's no question about it, Corbin. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. has been absolutely spectacular so far this season. You know, say what you will about guys like Bryce Young, obviously the the incumbent Heisman Trophy winner. C.J. Stroud for Ohio State has been spectacular. We've talked about guys who have some tools like Will Levis at Kentucky, Anthony Richardson at Florida in passing. But, you know, I had an opportunity to go to the, the latest Husky game where, of course, they, at least in some people's opinion, upset Michigan State. I thought that that was, again, a game that Washington, uh, you know, matched up very well against the visiting Spartans. But Penix was the difference. I mean, he was spectacular. He he made every throw that you would ever want to evaluate. I had the opportunity to sit next to a couple of NFL scouts. And, of course, I can't divulge which teams that they that they represent. I will say that the that most of the scouts I was sitting next to, their teams have good young quarterbacks. They are not likely to be selecting a quarterback, but still, Every time that Michael Penix would make a terrific throw, 
that sometimes it was over the top, beautiful deep ball. Sometimes it was throwing some touch. Sometimes it was evading a pass rush, buying some time with his feet before finding a secondary target. And there's no question he showed that live arm, as you said. The the throw to the running back in the right corner of the end zone uh, was one of the better throws I've seen from any quarterback at the college level so far this season. I think that Michael Penix needs to be included in the Heisman conversation at this point. He absolutely is a rising prospect. Should he stay healthy? And of course, that's been a little bit of a bugaboo for him going back to his days at Indiana. But should he stay healthy? I think this is a guy you are going to see get invited to the Senior Bowl or the East-West Shrine Bowl. Um, and he, I think that his stock is going to continue to rise. I think at minimum, we're talking about a middle-round prospect at this point. Obviously, Seattle has had some interest in drafting former Huskies in the past. Warren Moon, of course, played some time in Seattle. Brock Heward was drafted by the Seahawks uh, years ago. So this is a team that will stay local and draft players uh, at the quarterback position. We know that's going to be an area of concern. And again, I just see the dual threat ability that Penix provides. The fact that he did make that that transfer to uh, the University of Washington just kind of shows that he is all in. He's doing everything he possibly can to raise his stock. And I don't know that there's a quarterback in college football who has raised his stock more than Michael Penix has at least over the first three weeks of the season. As I mentioned, he's he went into this year very much under the radar. This is not a guy that you were seeing his name pop up when you were seeing mock drafts for the 2023 NFL draft. It just simply wasn't happening. But I had the privilege of watching this kid play in person a couple times. Being from Indiana, I got to see him early in his college career playing for the Hoosiers. And at first I had to kind of do a double take, like, who is this kid? Because Indiana is not known for producing football talent. That's just, it's not a football school. And yet this kid would be out there evading pass rushers, making beautiful throws on the run. You could see the pure arm strength, the quick release. And early in his college career, he was more likely to take off and run rather than throw the football when he was improvising plays. I think that has changed now in Washington. He's looking to pass first, and he'll run if he has to. But early in his career, he was more of a mobile threat. Had a few injuries. There was one year, Indiana started off 4-1. and one, And the Hoosiers starting off 4-1, and one, that's noteworthy. Because, again, this is not a football school in the Big Ten. They typically are near the bottom of the standings. And for him to come in and lead that team, he is an intense competitor. And you can see that. Now playing for Washington, you could see it in those games at Indiana, and they really missed him once he got hurt. So the durability is certainly a big question mark. His accuracy has been very up and down in his college career. That would probably be my biggest reason for pause, looking at him as an NFL prospect. He's had a couple years under a 60% completion rate. Even this game against Michigan State, 24 for 40 for 397, I mean, you'll take those numbers any day of the week, but there were certainly some throws that were left in the field. And so accuracy can be something that's very hit and miss with him. You can't really do that in the NFL and get away with it. But I kind of I, I don't like throwing Michael Vick comparisons around because I don't think he's the athlete that Michael Vick was. But in terms of having the arm strength and quick release as a lefty, a southpaw. I do see some similarities there. I also see some Teddy Bridgewater, maybe some Geno Smith type play in his game where he isn't necessarily the greatest athlete, but he can make plays with his legs when he needs to. He can improvise. And so certainly you see a lot of NFL worthy traits in this kid. And if he can continue putting it together, 10 touchdowns and one interception this year so far, he hasn't thrown many interceptions in his college career. So he makes smart decisions with the football it's really going to boil down to, do you see the consistency from him 
as a passer from an accuracy perspective. And if you see that to go with everything else that he brings to the table and he's able to stay healthy, this kid could absolutely jump into first round discussion by the time the season's over with. Yeah, and of the players that you just mentioned, I really think that he actually is very similar to current Seahawk, of course, Geno Smith. I mean, and it's the the accuracy inconsistency i think is one thing i think it is the arm strength it is the pocket mobility it's the fact that he plays for a head coach uh you know obviously kaylin DeBoer with the university of washington geno smith played at west virginia uh when he when his game really took off dana holgerson was his head coach i mean both of these are just brilliant in terms of scheme brilliant in terms of play callers uh you know a lot of times i i saw michael Penix would would look to the sideline to get the adjustment based on what Michigan State uh, showed in, in the way that they aligned. So this is a quarterback that is not often being asked to make his own reads at the line of scrimmage. That obviously is going to have to change when he's going to go into the NFL and have to make that adjustment. And so there's some concerns about that way. But in terms of just pure arm talent, in terms of the, the kind of prototypical NFL size and, and frame, uh, I am intrigued by him. Yeah, as you said, Corbin, he, he is not a four to athlete the way Michael Vick is, but he does buy time in the pocket. He does generally throw the ball away from the defense. Very rare that you saw him throw the ball into coverage. So again, that kind of goes in with Geno Smith and certainly Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, one of the knocks on Bridgewater was that he wasn't much of an athlete, that he often would check down passes. But in terms of being efficient, that, that's sometimes what you're looking for. So I, I think that he's got some serious work to do if we're talking about first round caliber quarterbacks. But hey, remember Russell Wilson was, of course, drafted in the third round. And obviously yeah. that worked out pretty well for the Seahawks. So I think that there's an awful lot of really good quarterbacks that wind up getting drafted in day two. And that's where I think that Michael Penix pro could get himself into should he continue to have this spectacular, quote unquote, breakout redshirt senior year for the Huskies. And it's funny that you mentioned Wilson because that that really wouldn't be a cop for me necessarily. But at the same time, this kid does throw a beautiful deep ball. And he's that's been a strength in his game dating back to when he first started playing for Indiana. And there were a few throws he made the other day. You could just see it, the rainbow drop in the bucket. And yep. he makes some throws from different arm angles. I, I, I see some Rich Gannon with the way he was winging sidearm throws on like 10 yard slants. I mean, so there's a lot of things to love about the arm talent with this kid. And I think that's the thing that intrigues me the most, the accuracy. And as you mentioned, having to get reads from the sideline, that's not abnormal for a college quarterback, but when you get in the NFL, uh, you better be able to read a defense while you're out there to make adjustments or you're probably not going to be swimming very long in the NFL. So there certainly are some concerns, but this is one of the faster rising quarterbacks. And if Washington continues to win games with a potent offense spearheaded by him and his passing ability, then he absolutely will keep climbing up draft boards. And maybe, just maybe, when we revisit some of these players going into the draft process next year, he might be a player that's very well on that short list that could interest the Seahawks because he does a lot of things really well that the Seahawks have prioritized in the quarterback position, in particular the ability to throw the football downfield and to improvise, to create and extend plays. He's got some really interesting tools to work with as an NFL prospect. Up next, it's time for our Monday musings, taking a more in-depth look at what went down yesterday in the Seahawks' 27-7 loss to the 49ers in Santa Clara. Rob and I are going to be dishing some takeaways on offense, defense, and special teams coming up next year 
on Locked On Seahawks. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, whatever you want from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits into your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Monday Musings edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. On your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. As we're going to do each and every Monday throughout the season, Rob and I have had a chance to look back at the tape. We watched yesterday's debacle of a game. It was a pretty ugly one, but went back and rewatched it. It's time for some Monday musings, some in-depth takeaways from what we saw in the Seahawks 27-7 loss to the 49ers at Levi Stadium. Rob, let's start on the offensive side of the football. What's the first major takeaway for you? Obviously, we're held without any points for the entire game. They're at six quarters now without a single point on offense. What jumped out to you for Seattle offensively? <laughs> How offensive it was. I mean, it was <laughs> uh, it was ugly. Uh, you know, I just... I think in the quarterback situation, you have to make some decisions here, what you're doing. Uh, I think that you have a guy, a game manager, and if you're not able to run the football, then a game manager isn't going to get it done. Um, you know, and so I, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, some, some very good questions posed to us on last week's show preview in this football game. And, and one of them basically said is, uh, you know, if the 40 or if the Seahawks were able to walk into Santa Clara and, and win that game and Geno Smith is dynamic, would that change your opinion? Well, obviously that did not happen. And so my opinion has not changed that the Geno Smith is a serviceable quarterback, but if you want to win football games, you have to be more than just serviceable. I, I thought that, one of the things that was especially concerning to me is the lack of impact plays from DK Metcalf. I mean, considering how much money that the Seahawks have allocated towards him for him to have, I think it was what 36 receiving yards in the first game against Denver, which I at least kind of just brushed off the, Hey, he was going up against an elite cornerback in Patrick Sertan, but then he has, I think there's 35 receiving yards against the 49ers. And it felt like he was targeted early on. And the Fox cameras caught something that of course you were at the game yourself. So maybe you didn't see this, but he was kind of shaking his hand and looked visibly frustrated. And then I thought at that point, the Seahawks very much went towards Tyler Lockett. And so Tyler Lockett to me was one of the positives other than the, you know, the, 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 the fumbled snafu of the punt return, which that's a whole other conversation to me. Clearly he, uh, you know, a blocker was pushed into him should have not been considered a turnover, but still my point is 
DK Metcalf being as physically gifted as he is, we saw the rapport that had developed between Metcalf and Geno Smith a year ago. Considering how good San Francisco's pass rush was, I really thought there would be more targets over the top to Metcalf, allow him to use his size and physicality. Uh, especially as the game was starting to get out of hand, I really thought that Seattle would take more shots in that regard. So I was surprised that Seattle was not a little bit more aggressive in that regard. So Say whatever you want. If you want to put the blame on Shane Walter as the play caller, Geno Smith, the quarterback, DK Metcalf, the receiver, obviously it didn't get done and it's got to improve if Seattle is going to have any type of sustained success on offense this year. Yeah, that explosive passing game, it's been absent the first two games. And you could easily point at the quarterback and say that he's the problem. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Geno Smith shouldn't have any blame on his shoulders because there were missed opportunities by him in this game. And he should have been intercepted twice. I, I still thought the defensive pass interference they called in the 49ers on the second one was kind of a ticky-tack call, but he was there a little bit early. So I suppose you can say it was justified. But he made a couple ill-advised throws over the middle that weren't accurate and should have been interceptions. One of them was picked off, and the other one got wiped out because of that pass interference penalty. That being said, I do not think that Geno Smith is even close to the biggest worry or concern with this Seahawks offense. I think it lies in the middle of your offensive line. And I think this is the reason why they could not take those deep shots downfield unless they were throwing a double pass. Geno Smith was getting immediately harassed from interior pass rushers, mostly in the second half. It was really bad after halftime. And the number one culprit, I, I don't like picking on one guy all the time, but Gabe Jackson just had one of the roughest games for a guard imaginable I counted seven quarterback pressures allowed on 35 dropbacks. Rob, that's 20% of their dropbacks that Gabe Jackson got beat and allowed a quarterback pressure. There were way too many times where Geno Smith was getting hit or he was trying to evade a rusher and you saw Gabe Jackson trailing facing towards him because he got beat. And that is really problematic for several reasons. One, Gabe Jackson is one of your three highest paid players on your roster. He is supposed to be a top five, top 10 caliber guard. Right now, he's not playing at replacement level. That's just honest assessment. He didn't look very good in the Broncos game. And then this game, he was abysmal. Damian Lewis can't stay healthy. Phil Haynes has been kind of disappointing. I thought he would step in at left guard and play like he did the end of last season. And that has not happened. Austin Blythe at the center position has been pretty darn good in pass pro, but he can't move anybody in the run game. And that's why Seattle had 35 rushing yards in this game. How many times were they trying to get the run game going and somebody came in from the interior? And I know San Francisco's got talent up there. Eric Armstead's a fantastic player. Javon Kinlaw is a fantastic player. But this interior offensive line, to me, after watching these first two games, is the biggest problem. You cannot have a guard giving up seven pressures on 35 dropbacks, especially when Aaron Donald is not the player on the other side. If, if Aaron Donald's going up against you, I suppose I can live with it because that's just how amazing of a player Aaron Donald is. But I just think that the Seahawks have a real conundrum on their hands there. You are a rebuilding team, whether you want to admit that or not. I just don't know how I'd feel about continuing to play an aging guard that is clearly in a steep decline right now, is not playing well in any facet of his game. 
and you had Jake Curhan as a healthy scratch, I, I'd rather see what Curhan can do at right guard at this point. I, I just think they've got some real question marks there, and it's limiting their ability to run the ball. It's limiting their ability to throw the ball downfield. You just you can't do anything you want to do offensively because the interior, the tackles, the rookies are the ones that look pretty solid out there, but the interior line, you've got some real question marks there, and it's really holding your offense back. No, there's no question about it. I mean, you took some of the words right out of my mouth as far as Gabe Jackson and, and not so much specifically Jackson, although I would agree with you that he struggled, but just the lack of push by, by Seattle's offensive line. We expected that with the rookie yeah. offensive tackles, uh, especially with Charles Cross. I mean, that was one of the real bugaboos on his tape, but I thought that the tackles actually fared reasonably well considering the talent they were going up against, but there was zero push from Seattle's interior, and, and that was really the, the game in a nutshell. I mean, Seattle was so excited to be able to get, uh, you know, of course, Ken Walker the third on the field. Obviously, they thought they were going to be able to do something pretty cute there with the, the uh, you know, the, the DJ Dallas, uh, you know, attempt at, at a pass uh you know <laughs> that's they, a nice they, way of putting it <laughs> well i'm not sure what else you could put it but uh you know they they, they had some things that look good on paper look good on the grease board but if, if you're not able to move people if you're not able to win those one-on-one blocks then, then you're kind of dead in the water and, and that's what it felt like seattle was uh certainly throughout most of the game against the 49ers let's go to the defensive side of the football now and you know, this is the way the tone has got to be when you're coming off a 20-point loss that really felt like a 40-point loss. There's just not going to be much positive to talk about. And I already mentioned the name in the first quarter, but the Seahawks need to do something to light a fire under Daryl Taylor. And I didn't think we'd be having this discussion after two regular season games with how good he looked in training camp and how good he looked on his limited opportunities in the preseason thought that this was a kid coming in that was going to have a breakout year. And he still may very well have that, but something needs to happen to light a fire underneath him because he has not played well at all in these first two games. He has been a liability more than anything. No pressures yesterday. He had two missed tackles. I felt like there were more than that, but I think it's just the two he had were just huge misses that led to big plays for the 49ers. Questions about run fit, freelancing, some type of message needs to be sent to him. And I think now the Seahawks have a good excuse to send that message because I picked him as my defensive game ball winner coming out of this game. And going back and watching the film, I'm very confident in that pick. Boy, Mafe had a fantastic second half. And if he can play against the run like he did, there was one play where he was able to dislodge from a pulling guard, used great hand technique. He squared up on him got off the block, and then blew up the running back, Jeff Wilson. By the way, it was pretty hard to bring down yesterday. He runs with anger and tenacity. Boy, Mafe said, I don't care. Brought him down for a two-yard loss. He had the only sack the Seahawks had in the entire game as well. 23 snaps, and I only had two negative snaps on those 23. He played outstanding yesterday. And Daryl Johnson played pretty well in limited action too, and he's a little bigger body. Held up better against the run. He was doing his assignments, playing his run gaps. Daryl Taylor needs to have a fire lit under him. So I guess what I'm saying is Boye Mafe and Daryl Johnson should be getting most of those reps right now. And Daryl Taylor needs to earn back those opportunities in the situational role that they were expecting Boye Mafe to play. To me, Mafe has now earned that opportunity coming out of this game. Start him or start Johnson and play Mafe more 
And Daryl Taylor is going to have to earn back those opportunities because he just has not done anything these first two weeks. You got to light a fire somehow. Well, you, you certainly do. Uh, you know, and you know, obviously his name's Daryl Taylor. His initials are DT, and I think that that's going to stand for decreased time because I agree with you. I, I think that Seattle has to try to get somebody else who's going to be more productive. Boye Mafe made the splashy plays. Daryl Johnson played just quality, uh, you know, sound football. And Daryl Taylor, meanwhile, as you mentioned, he has not been productive as a pass rusher. And I'll, you know, anybody who's been listening to our show, Corbin, I mean, I, I am the first to admit that I sometimes will pat myself on the back if I get something right. But I have been dead wrong so far with, with Daryl Taylor because I do still see the initial burst. I still see the the bend around the edge. I just don't see the toughness. I don't see the sand in your pants, the physicality to be able to hold up in the running game that you absolutely have to have as an outside linebacker in the 3-4 defense. It is not just about pinning your ears back and being a pass rusher. you got be a tough guy and and i am not seeing that sec type of mentality from daryl taylor so far you, you use the word uh you know freelancing I, I think that's what i've seen so far with daryl taylor and of course i'm not privy to all the defensive line calls and things like that but at the same time there are just too many times where it feels like daryl taylor is taking that inside pass rush or that outside pass rush and leaving the rest of the defense out to dry um and, and so no doubt about it. The missed tackle against Debo Samuel results in the 51-yard run. That obviously is one play that really looms large. But there are just too many others when you really watch the tape that are really, really concerning for Daryl Taylor. So, yeah, you, you basically hit the nail right on the head, at least from my perspective, that he has got to be better in that regard. We kind of talked about it before with, with Jordan Brooks and Quandre Diggs as, as well. Those need to be two of your absolute superstars. And while they didn't have the huge misses that Taylor had, they certainly weren't the, the, the dominant performers um, that I think that the Seahawks should expect them to be as Pro Bowl caliber players. Some of the leaders that, again, calling myself out here that I thought would be some of the guys who would step up in the absence uh, of Jamal Adams. I didn't see anybody with the exception, of course, of Tariq Woolen on the special teams play. And Al Woods, again, was just a beast in the middle at times. But still, I didn't see anybody for Seattle who really showed up in this game, frankly. And so that, to me, is the most concerning thing. Again, we were kind of expecting the emotional pendulum, but I thought that we would see a much more physical effort from the Seahawks. The 49ers bullied Seattle, and that's been a long time since I've seen Seattle get bullied the way they did on all phases of the game. Yeah, and that included on special teams. And I know that the one highlight play was Tariq Woolen's block field goal, Mike Jackson returning it for a touchdown. That obviously is going to push your special teams grade up. That was a fantastic play all the way around. But you had the muffed punt where Xavier Crawford gets pushed into Tyler Lockett. You had missed tackles. There was also a play, and this, at the end of the day, is not that big of a deal in the scheme of things. But there was a kickoff that DJ Dallas – should have let the ball just go out of bounds. And he caught it right along the sideline at like the 15-yard line. And all the reporters were looking at each other in the press box like, why didn't he just let that go out of bounds? And they, they got sat down at like the 23-yard line. They would have had the ball at the 40 if it went out of bounds. So special teams that were missed opportunities, that were missed tackles. So it just felt like it was one of those games where nothing went right for the Seahawks. And when they did get momentum on offense or defense – 
it really was a shoot yourself in the foot type thing. I hate making this joke, but I still have to. It was a Plaxico Burris game for the Seahawks. And they just kept getting in their own way, whether it was deciding we're going to run a 1920s formation and throw a ball with our third string running back and hope that it doesn't get intercepted or on defense having holding penalties, uh, defensive pass interference when you had third down stops. That happened like four times in this game. So they really didn't do anything. They were playing against themselves and the 49ers in this game. And you can't win a matchup against a really good, well-coached football team when you are playing against yourself. And that's what the Seahawks were doing. And it's frustrating. And Pete Carroll was expressing that frustration today because he feels like there's a lot of players that are doing a lot of things right, but then they keep making silly mistakes that end up compounding on themselves. And you play a good football team, you can't get away with that. You certainly cannot. And that, again, is one of the concerns I have. This is obviously a 49ers team that while Seattle was 2-0 and against them, this was still a team that was just a couple of plays away from competing for a Super Bowl. So I think that, you know, Anybody being reasonable thought that this would be a very challenging matchup. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think that the CX have got to lock themselves back in if they want to be able to play the Atlanta Falcons and, and have success. Because while the Falcons don't have the, you know, the national success and expectations, they are hitting. And, and they are running the ball well. So if Seattle just thinks that they're going to be able to cakewalk through this football game, they're just going to be able to win because they're back home and that pendulum is going to swing, then they're going to get a nasty surprise because, again, the Falcons can play a little bit of ball too. And Seattle, as good as they looked at times against Denver, they looked that bad against San Francisco. Like Quandre Diggs said after the game yesterday, this league will humble you. And then Point Blank said, we're not that good. You can't just walk into a game is what he was implying. You can't just walk in and expect to win. And the same thing is going to hold with Atlanta. There's not a game on their schedule that the Seahawks are going to walk in and be like, you know what? We can cakewalk that. They don't have the talent. They don't have the quarterback right now to do that. Every game is going to be a slugfest and they can't just walk in and think that everything's going to be a breeze. So that's got to be the biggest lesson coming out of this game above all else. You got to take every opponent seriously. You got to bring your hard hat. You got to bring the emotion every Sunday because if you don't, the other team is going to bring it and you're going to be in big trouble. And this team just, they're a rebuilding team. You can't afford to do that if you want to win football games and surprise people. You, just, you have very little margin for error. And the Seahawks yesterday obviously made way too many mistakes to give themselves a chance to win. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow is Tell the Truth Tuesday. We're going to have our last-minute dive-ins, and then we're going to move on from this ugly game that happened yesterday. A few more takeaways from Seahawks 49ers. Flip the script, and we'll start looking forward to the Atlanta Falcons, who, as we just mentioned, have been very competitive, even though they lost their first two games. This is an improved football team that's going to be coming to Lumen Field this week. We're going to take a look at what's new with the Atlanta Falcons and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.